Well, so how uh, what, so so we are live recording, not live, not live, but we're recording with uh, the legend himself. So for anyone who isn't familiar with David Ricks, um, I mean, it's you've had such a wild career because your career we're getting close to forty years. Twenty twenty one, if the world makes it, is going to be forty years. You started in nineteen eighty one your powerlifting career, which to wrap your head around, a 40-year-old lifter is a master. Your career is 40 years. Yeah, that, when you say it like that, it's like, (laughs) it it, kind of hit me a little bit when I I did that thing in September. And so they had these, you know, these talk sessions and so they had things on agility of lifting as myself and, um, Jen Thompson was and her husband, and they had someone out, and they had uh, Ellis McLean, and they had another gentleman. He just had to be a local lifter, and so we introduced ourselves, and he, and he said, "Yes, yeah, our age," and he said he was 37 years old. I was like, well, "Let me let me catch this. In. You're 37 years old. I've been lifting longer than you've been alive." I was like, oh. <laughs> "That's where you look at the rest of the crew up there who are talking about longevity, and it's like." I've been lifting as long as you guys have been alive. What are you guys doing up here? And these guys could be in there like 40 years old. They're masters. You make, you still, come on. There's, there's, there's longevity. And then there's David Ricks. You've, it's, it's remarkable that you started as a 21 year old in 1981. And this is way back before, I mean, multiple channels on TV way before, like who was president at the time? Was it Reagan? Uh, it was Reagan. It was, it was Reagan because uh, when I graduated from college, we got the largest increase in the military, like 13%. I think, oh, we'll get that every year. Well, I was like after years and years of not having nothing at all. Uh, but yeah, Reagan was president uh, when I, <laughs> yes. I graduated from college. Uh, and th- and- this is, we didn't have CDs. We had VHS. We didn't have Nintendo. We had Atari. We didn't have, you know, people need to realize like, way before even phantoming of like uh the internet blockbuster was still around with vhs and um i mean you've been around the whole way through all the way up until now and i just saw you at that one charity event where you're squatting over 700 pounds for reps you're a 93 kilo 60 year old man you know it just to put in perspective for people who've been in the game for five years and feel like veterans and or been in the game 10 years even and they're like wow man we've been in here for a minute where they it's 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 freaking beyond remarkable there's a reason why they call you superman <laughs> right? it does it doesn't it's hard to wrap around your head when you started i mean taking usually with people like guests i take them back in terms of like telling a bit of a story here but before we take them back to 1981 when you first started off the top as one of the elder statesman who still can rumble in the open at your age what is what is some of the moments for you what is the number one moment for you when you showed up as a master lifter and you rumbled with the young generation the new generation the social media instagram generation and you took on one of the young guns or you put took down one of those records and and kind of laid your mark what was one of those moments um, it, it's um, it's probably when I 
when this, this uh, the, the raw lifting popped in because, you know, when I started Cody's, it was just you know, quick lifting and it was, and I was okay. And I, I won some world championships and, and I, you know, I was, you know, in my thirties and my last world championship, I was actually 40 years old. And I thought, well, since I hit 40, it's like, well, maybe I should call it, call it a career. And, but I kept having fun. But uh, I think one of the things that, 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 um, that was unique was uh, when I set my first open world record as a raw lifter, and I took a year off from lifting. Uh, and it was at in Colleen, Texas, the FPF Master Worlds. And the open squat record was a 307, 308 kilos, I think it was. And when I took a year off and I got back into lifting, I said, well, I didn't have a good power gym. So I said, let me get back into this, just working out. And I was working out pretty good. And at a commercial gym, you can be a raw lifter, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to get back in shape. And I said, oh, maybe I have a chance. I did a couple of meet, a local meet. My first local meet when I got back in shape in 2015, I squatted just a pounds because I'm not a kilo guy. But I squatted barely um, 500 pounds, 515, barely 300 pounds, and pulled at 550. That was July of 2015. And then that fall was the was the uh, Raw Nationals in, in, in Pennsylvania. And I did a little better, and I think I squatted maybe uh, 272, 3,600 pounds, and pulled a little heavier than that, and barely bent maybe 390, 390 pounds. And I said, well, maybe I'm, I got something else, I, got, I, I can get back into this. Uh, now I was over 50 then, and as I started training for the, uh, for the uh, Master World Champions in Glean, Texas, uh, about four or five weeks before that meet, my numbers are getting pretty squatted, pretty close to the open squat record. I was like, ooh, this is getting pretty interesting. And I was at a, and I found a good you know, power gym. They really supported me. It was, uh, it was a group strength gym in Norfolk, Virginia. And my training got to a point so if I get a chance, I will put the open squat record on, on the, uh, on, on the uh, on the platform, see what happens, and so I think I opened up like a, I think I opened open up at 280, 270, and I was going to do 290, and and my coach misread the number and he put 300 kilos. <laughs> he did. And normally you, you put a number too high, but 300 kilos went so good. I said, let's put the open spot record on, on the summer, and it was only 10 kilo jump, and. Uh, and I got it, I was, and I was like, I thought that was it. I thought once I did that, I thought I had, I hit my pinnacle, and I couldn't do no more. Uh, and uh, and I thought, well, I'll just maybe do another year and call it call it a career. But it just, but uh, but the the other biggest opportunity, biggest thrill was when I uh, broke the open squat record again. This was in uh, Ohio at the uh, Arnold, and they had a, and it was a uh, IPF qualifying event because they had IPF judges. The thing made unique because I'm from Ohio, and I was, I was, I think it was in Ohio. Who the was that? But my parents are from Ohio, and I had done the Arnold multiple years, several years since the Arnold started for the USAPL, and they like to come to see me lift 
uh, but they never, they hardly ever travel. And so my second lift, I think I did, I think um, 317 or, or uh, 310 kilo, maybe 315, something like that. And so I had a third attempt and I could have done three, I could have, I could have done three, three, 320. I did that at the uh, nationals uh, with Jesse Norris, but I'd done 320 before in competition. And I don't like, and I said, this might be my last time lifting really heavy in front of my parents. So I put a number on the bar that I never tried before. <laughs> uh, you were like, hey man, my mom and dad are here. I got to show up, <laughs> right? So this is really, you know, just, you know, how people get very emotional about lifting and they, they, and they really put their full effort versus what they do in the gym. And the 325 was, I had not, did not plan to do that. Uh, and it, it went very well. It, I was, yeah, so that, so that, Doing that in front of my parents, setting a world record, probably I'll say uh, an open world record was, was really unique. And the fascinating part was at that same, right after I did that, uh, Anthony Harris, he's my he's my brother lifting our brother in arms, he broke the open squat record also, like uh, 870 pounds, I forgot what kilo it was, uh, and as a master also, master two. And the unique thing about Anthony Harris, I didn't realize it until about maybe, maybe six months prior to that at the Nationals. He had taken some taken my year off and he came back from Tetosquare cancer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know he came back from cancer. Yeah. And so, I mean, he and I have been, you know, we've done world meet and natural meet and hook lifting and, and then now he's into the raw lifting. And so he took a year off because of that and he got back into it. Uh, and so I mean, you, you think I'm unique. But to someone have, you know, he's had some other, you know, you know, he's injured himself and lifted some other things. But in terms of being a Superman, I, I consider he, he's almost like a whole nother level to have cancer and recover from it and then be on the platform and push in yourself. In his 50s. Yeah, he's like, he's about five years younger than I am. And so to so do he's 55. That, wow. Yeah, so it's, it's truly amazing. So, uh, you know, so, a couple of takeaways just before just to give a little context so when your parents watched you squat 325 325 kilo 716 pounds you know usually when parents come to a powerlifting competition like i'm here to watch my son lift oh that's cute how old is he there you're thinking like is he 18 is he 23 like oh he's 60 it's like, I'm, I'm going to go see my boy squat today. Yeah, he's 60, though. Like, this is it's so, like, you know, different than, than you would anticipate. And um, for the squat record, I just want to give, I remember my first year commentating the IPF World Championships was 2016 in Killeen, Texas. And I was there when you did what you did in, in the squat record. Um, I wasn't calling your session. I remember the buzz when you hit. When you hit that record, uh, 310, ki 310 kilo in the 93 kilo class, everybody, like this is the beginning of the social media. King of the Lifts had just started. Um, in terms of the social media, it's just really starting. And our history, in terms of what we know about um, historical powerlifters in previous world championships, it's not like football where you know all the greatest quarterbacks and whatnot. It, it's not quite like that because we had a bit of like a – a dark age of we weren't on TV, you know, so you don't grow up watching it on TV, right? So now with social media and streams, people are watching it and it's a lot easier to know people. 
So when you hit what you hit, it was like, allow me to reintroduce myself. I'm David Ricks. They call me Superman. And I remember everybody, all the younger people, who the hell is that guy? And, and everyone, like, there was a 50-something-year-old man just took the open squat world record. And everyone's on their phones Googling, like, who the hell is David Ricks? You're blowing up on social media. And I was, I had heard of you, but I didn't know. Like, again, it's not like sports that are on TV you grew up watching. You know, and social media, we see it all the time now, but it's not what we had previously. And I think it was Lane Norton who was a ma- at the time and now has a massive social media following. Either you took his squat world record or you took it from the guy who took it from him because are you? Okay, because Lane Norton did a post and Lane Norton has, you know, half a million followers. He makes posts and a million people see it. And Lane Norton actually retweeted it out and, and put it on Instagram and put it on his YouTube the whole nine saying, if somebody's got to take my record, I'm glad it was David Ricks. And if you don't know who David Ricks is, this is who David Ricks is. And that really helped. And ter- I know what you mean where if you're coming out of retirement, you know, this, you just started getting to raw lifting. Your previous raw numbers were nothing like this. So all you did before that was equipped. The new crowd aren't into equipped lifting. They don't have a barometer of how good is this equipped compared to raw. If these are as equipped numbers, they don't know. When that happened in Clean Texas, 2016 Worlds, my friend, you jumped on everybody's radar and then Lay Norton blasts you out. It was beautiful. And then your follow-up appearance you're talking about at the Arnold. So we thought, okay, so the rest of the powerlifting community thought when you did that, just like you said, well, that's probably his swan song. He came back, smashed that, had his moment. Lane Norton tips his hat and be like, oh, wow, this man, 20, 30 years older than me, just, 30 years older than me, just took, okay, it is what it is. And everyone thought that's probably going to be the end of this story, though. And if for you to come back, Again, when you just said you did 310 for that record to up it by 15 kilo at the Arnold Classic in front of your parents, is it's phenomenal. It's like, where does it end? You're, this man is pushing 60. I just wanted to get that out there for anyone listening who needed just a little bit of a temperature of the room at the time, what it was actually, because you're a humble guy and you don't want to brag too much when you're telling the story, but it was phenomenal. It really did jump up on everyone's um, radar there. But uh, I also, there's a there's a competition in between those two events that I just want to talk about real quick. I don't want to, you mentioned it briefly, but I want to get, this is, this is one that really got me going, my juices going, and I think a lot of people going. So in the 2016 uh, Nationals, people, right. people, or was it 2016? I, th- I think it was, that's right. Because 2016 Nationals comes after the Worlds, right? Let yeah, me- that- that, that, that's correct. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It at these raw nationals. Um, so you had jumped on the radar by breaking Lane Norton's record. Then you show up to the raw nationals and um, people are like, all right, we know who David Ricks is. Everyone's Googled and everyone's caught up. If, they, if you don't know, now, you know, and the biggest, most intimidating young lion, not just in your weight class and all of powerlifting is Jesse Norris. Jesse Norris to this day has the highest points we've ever seen in the new point system they have, the IPF point system. He's an absolute lion. He's coming to the Raw Nationals and he's lifting as a 93 
and he's being handled by Joey Flex. And Joey Flex, the hottest coach in the world at this point, because he just won with John Hack, the 83-kilo showdown with Brett Gibbs. So he's being handled by Joey Flex. He's the big lion. And you show up, and some people, there's certain murmurs in the crowd saying, wouldn't it be amazing if these two actually ended up in a rumble? Imagine the old guy comes out, dusts off the shoes one more time. It's like, young man, we're going to rumble. And let's talk about this for a second, David, because this deserves a talk, a discussion here. Did you have, for anyone who doesn't, uh, you know, we'll, we'll walk through the story. I don't want to give it away, but it, it came down to the very end and nobody would have thought it did. So walking into that Nationals and Jesse Norris is there, did you have any idea what was about to happen? What are you thinking when you show up like that? Well, let me, let me give you a little backstory. You know, I, we all, as mature individuals, we have, have our day jobs. And so my day job, I'm an engineer, public works guy. And so at that time, I was the public director for the city of Norfolk. And the week before that event, we had a major Hurricane George came through the area and knocked over 100 trees. We had flooding to, to major underpasses got flooded out. We had 15 inches of rain and a period of about six hours. Um, and it was, we were forecast to get the edges of the storm, but not direct impact. Well, your forecast was wrong. You know how that works. Mm -hmm. And so four o'clock, the, the skies were playing about four, about four thirty, skies got dark. And about six o'clock, we were into hurricane force winds, rain, everything else. And so, so I was in recovery mode in terms of recovering, helping the city recover from the downed trees at a hundred trees, hundred plus trees. And we had two down, two underpasses. Uh, that, that goes through the city, city of 250,000 people. So three days before I was going to leave, we were still doing stuff. I mean, we were still doing stuff. And uh, the day I was supposed to leave, things were at the point now that that uh, the city was on the recovery mode and I had a great team. Uh, I already had bought the ticket support, you know, the entry fee, and I think we're in a good place. And so I didn't tell them why I was going to, I still wanted to go, but it depended on my job comes first. But I was at the point that things were in a good place and we had then the passes were clear, the trees were all clear, the roads were clear. And so I told my boss, I, I need to go out of town. This was uh it was on a Thursday. So I was gonna leave, you know, especially on Saturday. So I was gonna leave Thursday. I said, I think we're in a good place, boss. I need to go to, to Atlanta for the little lifting thing. I'm a coach, I'm a referee. Say that you day. And that's all that's all I said. I you know. Uh, do, they I, know, do they not know you're Superman? You're like Clark Kent. You literally wear glasses and are unassuming when you talk. And you're like, I'm going to be out of town. This is this is what Clark Kent would say when he's going out of town to fight Sandman or something like that. Like, like I'll be out of town. Just hold it down. We just saved uh, you know, a national emergency with a hurricane. And he's like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> right? so, 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 I, so I get there. And uh, and so I volunteered the referee that, that, that Friday. No big deal. And then our lifting, that's when it was unique. And um, Josh Rohr, who was the meat director, he's the first, is the largest meat that USPL had. And he decided to do a unique event called prime time lifting. That's when how it got started. And so they take the, he had a, he started the top 10. And, and I know I was lifting that evening. Well, because I was so busy with the storm and I, I try to watch my weight. I never get to a meet not knowing my weight. And so the day of the meet, um, I checked my weight, and somehow I thought I was um, I was 95 kilos versus 93 kilos. 
I don't know why. And so the morning of, I was 94 kilo plus, and so I weighed in, and, I, and I'm sitting in the chair refereeing about, about noon, I think myself, wait a second, am, am I 93 kilo? And I weighed 94, that's not a good, I said, no, this can't be right. And so when I finished the referee session, I got about, about one o'clock, I checked my weight. I was over, almost a kilo and a half over. And I was going to weigh in basically, you know, about two hours later. Oh no, you, well, you got no time to sweat that. You got to rock and roll. And so, 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 talk, and so I, I said, I can't go out like that. And so <laughs> fortunately we were downtown Atlanta and they had a, uh, my wife, my wife is great. And she's a 20 year counselor. She's pretty much Superman, uh, super person for me. And I said, honey, I, I need to find a, a sign up real close. And so she went to the, uh, to the uh, hotel desk and said, hey, my son, my, my, uh, my, uh, my husband is a, you know, the weightlifter or whatever, and he needed to find a sauna. And they had a, one of those boutique saunas in the hotel that's for, you know, you know, people who get their beauty things done. It was really for ladies. And so I said, I'll do it. I don't care what it is. And so, so she got, you know, she got paid the fee and now went up, up to another level and, and had a boutique sauna. And I said for about two hours. And, and uh, so I said, it is, it is what it is. So when I weighed in, I had not, uh, really nothing on. And I weighed it at the number. And yeah, you were uh, 93 exactly. I mean, I mean, if, if you'd have breathed on me, I'd have been on the way. <laughs> you know, so, somebody breathing on me, get back. Is someone breathing on me? <laughs> so, so being overweight, it that, that put a lot of um, stress on you. I don't want to be overweight right that close to competition. So I didn't, so this is so this is like way off my my, my normal uh, how I normally do things. And so I didn't worry about, you know, what I was gonna be drained physically or whatever. I said, I just need to make weight because I can't go out and be overweight for a major tournament. And so once I made weight, I said, okay, I'm good. And so I knew, you know, there was a lot of, there was, you know, um, Ellis McClain, there's a, there's a big, there's a big competitive, uh, Astrid Rushka was there. Uh, he was just in college and he walked to me and says, uh, Introduce myself, Mr. Rick. Mr. Rick, what are you talking about? And he was just, he was just an up, upcoming lefter. And so, um, and uh, so my goal was just to do the best I can. I didn't worry about you know who was lifting whatever. And uh, and so I squatted pretty well. I think I squatted at like 320. Um, and I benched pretty well. And I think uh, Jesse had an off. He had a shoulder issue, so the bench wasn't that off. And so uh, when I got to the deadlift. I think I would open up. I had a good opener. I missed my second attempt. I just, it just technically a little off, but it wasn't a weight. And uh, Greg Simmons, uh, he's a, a coach, USAP coach. He just passed away a couple years ago with cancer. Great guy. He's a lifter and also a coach. And so the day of the meet, normally, you know, guys have their coaches set up, you know, months ahead of time. I wait till I get to the venue, pick out one of my friends, hey, can you coach me? I'm pretty low key. Here's my numbers. Can you help me out? Uh, and so after I missed my second deadlift, and he says, uh, Dave, you know, what's his name? Um, uh, I missed his second deadlift, uh, and you you can push him. What, what do you mean? Okay, well, let's, let's put my third deadlift so I can push him. And that's how that's how I came down to it. And so it, it was uh, it was just I just had a very good day. Uh, and I and so walking to that third deadlift, it was and I and it was Gino was the was the MC. And I said to myself, I said, and it, it had the, he had, 
and it was one of those crowds, and everybody was electric, and everybody was on their feet. And uh, and they made the announcement, you know, this can put them technically in the first, in the running, yada, yada, and all that, and, you know, Gino does his thing. And I said to myself, man, if I could stop right here, if I die right here, I think I've gotten the power lift to heaven. Because it was one of those ultimate experiences where you have the weight on the bar, and you're the guy, and either you do it or not do it. It was one of those electric moments that I said, if I could... If I could just stop right there and say, uh, when your partisan career is over, I said, I, 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 that is kind of like you can drop the mic and, and call it a day. And uh, so. Well, you you literally, like, okay, so just to set it up, when you missed your, so so 100% in squats, you had smoked, You uh, your squat once again was on fire, 320 kilo, which is phenomenal, 2.5 kilo on bench. So your subtotal was amazing, okay? You hit your opener dead and you're rocking and rolling. You solidify, but people expected Jesse's going to catch up on the deadlift. Jesse's going to catch up on the deadlift. Well, guess what? So you missed your second deadlift and people are thinking, oh, well, that must be the end of this great run then. He missed his second deadlift and your second deadlift, by the way, was um, 290 kilo. Jesse goes 350 kilo. He's a massive deadlifter, but he's got to catch up. He missed. 350. Now, in this situation where you both missed, we're right back to you're still rocking and rolling because it was expected Jesse to cover ground, but you need to hit. So your handler saying, we got to apply pressure, David. Do you want to go all in? When you tell him, I, I don't know if you were looking at the scorecards at the time, but when you said, yeah, okay, let's go all in. Let's put in pressure because he's watching, seeing that Jesse missed. He, he did it right because he increased... Even though you had missed your second deadlift, he increased it 17.5 kilo off of a miss. So it was all in. It was literally like, look at you just missed 290. We're going 307.5. This is a massive jump considering you just missed 290. But if you hit this, you have a 830 kilo total and the pressure on Jesse, he can he just missed and he also has to hit what he just missed. And Jesse missed hard. Jesse missed scary. Just it, it was, it was a it was tough. It was tougher than it should have been. Obviously, he missed it, but the weight felt heavy that day. Something was off and it was vulnerable, and you could sense it. And I was watching, thinking, oh my God, if David could pull this. And you went up, and I'm thinking, like, like, what's the chances? David, like, another miracle for David. What's the chances? And when you hit three, and that's why when you said, when you hit the platform, and you're like, if I die right now, because all eyes were on you, my friend. Everybody was like, holy smokes, if he can hit this. It was almost like, it was nothing against Jesse. Phenomenal. Like, I had him on the podcast. He's a sweet man. But it's, it's ever, who doesn't root for the underdog, the ultimate underdog? that's coming out of here. And no matter what, when you're pushing 60, you will forever be the underdog. You, you're always gonna be a sentimental favorite. So when you walk up to that platform, I'm in Canada watching, you know, but we're like, oh my God, let him hit this. Please let him hit this. If he's gonna go out, let him go out swinging. And when you hit 307.5 and hit and solidified your 830 total, and it was like looking over at Jesse, there you go, young man. If you're gonna be the champion, you're gonna have to earn it today. It was. The, the roof almost caved in with everybody celebrating. And I know you mean where you're like, if I could have died right there, because right there, you were in for, you were ahead. You were ahead. You were the 93 kilo champion of the US at a, a stitch under 60. And, and you and you didn't just take it over an up and comer. 
it was Jesse Norris, who was like considered like like the best lifter we had in the world at that time. So it was phenomenal. It, it was like, this can't be happening right now. Jesse comes up showing his true colors and, and hats off to him, hits the 350 in the retake. Now he's not going up. He didn't need to go up, but he had to hit what he had missed. Gets it, but it's a scrap. And it was still, even though you came in second, it was still like, it's it's one of those moments, like I'll never forget if I live to be, you know, put it this way. It's a moment that Jesse won't forget because I had Jesse Norris on this podcast years after the fact. And um, people were debating who's the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? Some people said, is it John Hack? What John Hack's doing right now? Like, or the greatest right now. And I, and I asked Jesse, who do you think the greatest 93 kilo lifter of all time is? And he didn't hesitate and said, it's David Ricks. And I was oh. like, and I said, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, here's the thing. It's you gave the guy the scare of his life. Jesse, to this day, because he, he quit out of injuries. He didn't quit because he was retired from competition. You're, you're, the, right. only, you're the only guy to give him that. When he thinks back, what was your toughest battle? It's David Ricks, though. That, that was, you know, it's, it's such a crazy story. Um, like, for you... When you think like, and, and, and once again, whoever, when you popped on people's radar at the IPF World Championships, breaking the open squat record, you solidified your, your place in everyone's mind two months later at the Raw Nationals. Like that was a, an amazing encore presentation, sir. Like that was like, if ever anybody was telling themselves, well, that's probably it in Colleen, Texas at the Worlds. That's probably, he came back, he hit an open world record. Lane Norton gave him his kudos. That's probably it though, right? Um, no, sir. The, the follow-up might've been better. Like, so let me ask you, this is what I want to ask you. Sure. And I've kicked this around myself. When you think about those moments, obviously breaking the squat world record, jumping on everybody's radar, Lane Norton tipping happy, and happy. Oh, wow. Um, in Killing Texas, breaking the world record again, um, defying the odds once again the following year you're even a year older in front of your parents um, or battling and then you did it again later in the Pacific uh, uh, Invitational as well uh, chipping your own world record or battling Jesse Norris in head-to-head -head competition knowing who Jesse was at the time he was you know the the guy in his of his era of those what is the moment that sticks out the most to you. Well, you well, well the thing about the, the Jesse Norris, I mean, he, he was a big dog going in, and even I met him the year before um, at the uh, Ron Nashes in, in Texas, and and, uh, and that's when I started get back after coming out of semi retirement, and I thought about being go back in the open, and I looked at all the numbers. You know, the previous year, I said, no, it's way outside my leg. I'll be a, a quiet old master and I'd stay in the master class. But, but by the time I did the, uh, the world of Broke the Royal Work, I said, oh, I think I can get, I can, I can think I can kick with these young guys. And so, and, but knowing that I had a storm thing, I wouldn't, wouldn't sure I was going to compete at all. And so, and then also being overweight. Uh, so I didn't have time to really think about what was happening. And I just said, let me just go and have fun, stay within my, my um, framework in terms of training and see what happens. And so until um, I missed that second deadlift and then my coach, Greg, Greg Simmons says, you know, Dave, he kind of gave me the full rundown. Uh, you know, wasn't it missed his second deadlift, 
do you want to take it over again or do you want to push him? I said, I've been there, done that in terms of uh, major competition. I come here to win. And so, <laughs> and so we already had a competition about how far we're going to push that. I said, put that number on the bar. And so, so I, uh, now if I was, you know, just new to the sport and just didn't have that many, you know, major turn underneath my belt, not have been a conservative approach, but you know, being an old, old, you know, uh, mature guy like I am, I said, I'll go for growth. And so, but I try to do it within my limitations. And, but, um, but the, the fascinating part was like the next day, I was there the next day and their guys were coming up to me and said, they, I, I, I don't I don't know what I saw, but that, that was, I mean, they, they, it almost had tears in my eyes because guys are just, they, 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 they couldn't, they were amazed in terms of watching that competition. I didn't realize uh, the significance of it until almost like months. I didn't really, I didn't capture in terms of uh, how significant that was. <laughs> did you know how, did you know who Jesse Norris was? Like how said, well, I guess you had seen him the year before, but I don't know if you're, are you on social media? Did you realize he, who he was in the standing of powerlifting in the world at that time? I, I knew he, had, he had such a record. He was a young stud, but I was not a social media guy. I mean, I yeah. only came to Instagram until, um, ah, shoot. Not even a couple of years, a couple of years on social media. I mean, yeah. I did a Facebook with the Instagram thing. It took me two years ago, I got on Instagram. And, and, I, had to, and I had to have, um, Oh gosh, um, uh, Matt Gary showed me how to use it because I oh got a, I got I got an account here trying to use my computer. And said, Dave, you can't only post stuff and stuff on your phone. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. And so, <laughs> it's adorable that you're like, I got this young kid, Matt Gary, and Matt Gary's like 50. I got this young kid to help me on social media. He's like, oh my god. <laughs> Matt Gary's like, listen, I'm no Instagram, you know, wizard here. I'm, I'm not lighting it up on social media, but I can help you out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I this was, is amazing. I mean, I was, I mean, my framework of, you know, who's who is, is you know, back in the old school, we used to look at USA powerlifting once a month. You look at who, who's the, you know, lifter of the week in, the, in terms of articles and who, and the, the big tournaments. And so the social media thing, uh, I'm like, way, I'm, I'm into it now, but you know, even even then, I was like way late to the game because I had just almost taken a year off and slowly got back into this raw powerlifting and there's a whole new group of folks who were becoming the superstars. And so I was kind of like, I don't say an old guy, but I almost knew, I don't say new to it, but not really, uh, I didn't understand who was doing what. And, and, right. and uh, I was still, I'm still surprised by myself how well I've done in raw lifting because at the time when I got back into it, I used to anything above uh, above 500 pounds or 225 kilos, I would wear knee sleeves. I mean knee wraps, and and I would train that way and then put a suit on anything above say uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe 310 kilos, I would put a, a suit on, a spot suit on, and so when I got when I took that year off from 2014, 2015, so I'll just stick with raw lifting. I didn't know, I had no idea what my potential was gonna be. I'm seriously, I, I didn't train that heavy, maybe uh, 200 kilos on both ends, squat and deadlift, maybe 150 kilos on the, on the bench, and that's it, uh, until I started, got back into it. So I didn't know, I thought, well, maybe I can maybe squat, maybe, maybe 270 kilos, 
and did that, that's about it as a raw lester. And that's about it. I never thought that I could do anywhere near. If you had told me that, that a couple of years into it that I would hit that, that raw record, let alone break it again, uh, and anything over 700 pounds, just a knee sleeve and a belt, I there's no way I could. I, I there's no way I think you're smoking. I just I would, could never I would, could never imagine myself doing that and just with a raw lifter. I just because I never trained that one. I just never did. It's it's funny. Um, I mean, just put more in perspective for people listening. Your 830 would have won the world championships after that happened, like 2018, et cetera. Like you would be winning world championships with that. Like it, if people are wondering how good 830 is, yeah, it's good. It's freaking, it's, 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 it's good. That, winning, winning the open world championships, not, not let alone masters. Like that's just, you know, the masters like, well, let's put the gold around the young man's neck. But um, yeah, I mean, it's got to be weird being in your position, laying down at night, and your wife's like, "How did that go, honey? Did that go well? Uh, you know, I went toe to toe with Jesse Norris. Is he good? Who's Jesse Norris?" And you're like, "I don't know neither, but apparently he's good." Because people the next day are are shaking my hand, taking pictures with me, and they can't believe what I did. It's it is it's a yes, it's so unique a situation for you to come out like that, two thousand. 16 year was such a banner year and then you followed it up obviously by breaking records again in the squat like proving like you weren't going away you have the staying power um but okay but i want you to tell me of breaking in in terms of the squat record in 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 uh, the arnold in front of your parents breaking the squat record at the world championships 2016 or battling jesse norris or the pacific invitational when you broke the squat record again which one takes which one takes it what is the moment where you're like that was it that was it i think personally because i'm a big family guy having my parents see me break because they they have no idea they know i'm good but they have no idea uh in terms of how good i am you know they, they see stuff but but they have no no uh no concept and uh and unfortunate that they're, they're still living and to have a set of a, a world record in front of them, that that was that that yeah. that's, that's that's in terms of what I consider my pinnacle of my career. And then the fascinating part was the three years prior to that, I broke a an equip, equip yeah equip masters record uh, at the Arnold. They had just reset the uh, I think the the, the ninety three kilo class and the master two records were basically. They had said, here's a minimum requirement. And I had an opportunity to set the M2 record at the Arnold. And Gina was there. And 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 uh, so when I got to my third attempt, somehow they knew my parents was in the audience and they called, they had my dad up. And so as I'm walking up to the platform and said, uh, Mr. Ricks, uh, your son's ready to set, set the world record. Uh, do you think he's gonna do it? I'm like, and they all like to say, I said, no pressure now. <laughs> And so I was fortunate enough now 352 kilos, most ever squat. How how old are your parents? They're uh, 81 and 82 years old. My God, that's adorable. <laughs> that, 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 you know what? As much as I love the Jesse Norris battle, I could see how you would pick that, being like, man, my pops was there, man. You know, like, those are moments. Like, do you, 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 like, you don't know how long people are going to be in your life. I mean, you had them for a long time. 80, man, they've had a hell of a run. You got some good genes in you, obviously, though. Uh, but <laughs> to make it more special, the first time 
my dad saw me left was uh, with the EDFP championship, the second championship I went to. It was in Pennsylvania. It was in Erie, no, Kutztown, Pennsylvania. Kutztown? I think it was. I think it was Erie, Pennsylvania, I think it was. Um, and so he heard, he knew I was lifting, but, 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 uh, but I was fortunate enough that he was close enough. So he drove and I was in California. So I flew out and I was 165 and uh, didn't lose the weight the right way. And uh, Martin Beavers was, was the top lifter at that time. And I uh, took second to him the year before my first EDP national. So I was hungry to kind of you know, set myself on the mark. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't lose the weight the right way. And I get out there and um, we weigh in and I find out what he's woken it at. And I, I put a number on the board, I think close to 600 pounds, open up that. And they had a big flight session. And so everything was behind schedule. And so I didn't watch it that closely. And all of a sudden, when they got to our flights, said, no, we're gonna stick to the schedule. So I had to rush my warmups. And it was one of those things that, it, you know, didn't lose the weight the right way. And so I wasn't, you know, didn't have the right nourishment. And uh, one of the okay, but when they put that first opening weight on my back, it felt like a ton of bricks. And I, I didn't go in deep enough because it got three red lights. Second one felt the same way. The third one, I went, I really sunk it. I couldn't come out of it. They said, I take the bar away from me. And so I bombed out of that meat. So instead of going, you know, potentially winning the thing or taking second place, I had nothing. And I worked so hard, six or seven months to train for that. Uh, and so I told my dad, I said, hey, I know you're here to see me lift. However, I can't watch the rest of it. I just, I, mostly I just can't. So we went, had dinner, had a movie. And so I said, I said, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this thing. Cause that was, <laughs> that was just too much for me to work so hard to get nothing. He said, and he said, no, 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 you should stay with it. Think about it. Take some time off. Think about what you did and then get back to gym and see what happens. And that's what I did. And I, and my next meet did better. And I, and I, uh, that's how I continue my career. So, so, um, to go from that, you know, you, you know, decades before to where he sees me open a raw open squat record. Uh, then that, that, you know, that, that was like, I, I get emotional about that. That's just. <laughs> Look at, listen, that happened in the 1980s. Okay. Yeah. On, on Netflix right now, there's Cobra Kai. There's a show with the karate kid. It's really right. hot right now. And yeah. the original Karate Kid movies were going on in the 80s when that happened. Okay, that just for some perspective. It's funny your dad was like, no, nah, you know what? You got some potential. You should stick with it. We'll see. And then like 30 years later, your dad's like, damn, still at it. <laughs> we're still at it. We're still going. That, yeah, that event was 1989. That's right. 1980 Nationals. And uh, yeah, 1980 Nationals. So, uh, and that was, yeah. Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And so you go from that to, and uh, to, you know, to have my parents see me break an open squat record in 2016, that, that just, you know, I, I don't. <laughs> How do you think, a couple questions. Well, let me ask you this. So this was equipped at the time and um, obviously Raw didn't come around till much later. Right. Do you think if Raw was around at the time, more prominent like it is now, do you think you ever would have done equipped or do you, do you prefer raw lifting in terms of training, in terms of competing, not having the variable of equipment there? So, you know, exactly what you got from training to platform and, and training without equipment. You could just do it by yourself, et cetera. Or do you think you would have took the equip route anyways? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, equipment was the only route that you had 
and all the top lifters, that's how they measure themselves is in quick lifting. And so when I really got into it, uh, in fact, I competitive in the late 80s, 1980s, uh, I always, and I was good enough to be a local. The reason I started getting to go to a national meet was in the late 80s, I was in California and I was winning some local PDFP meets. And after being won the California State Championship second time, I said, you know, if you went to the nationals, you'd have a place, it would probably take me first. Like, oh, I never thought about that. Because I've been you know, busy in the military, I never thought about that because uh, all the top guys were just outside my lake. But the EDFPA, the numbers were within my, my, within my capability. I said, oh, let me, let me think about that. And that's how I started. And so, uh, and now, and this is interesting because when I, when I, my last equipment was the R in 2014, and I did an okay meet, but I had, had some really training, big training numbers. I was looking to hit 804 pounds in the squat. Uh, I had double 780 in training, a single 780 in training, uh, but I only got my opening squat. And so a uh, little, no, a little, by a little beat up. And uh, that was March of 2014. And then, uh, so it took some time off. And then I had a job change, left Atlanta and went to Norfolk. And so a period of nine months, I had a lot of stuff going on. And so I really wasn't back in the gym at all. And so uh, I think February of 2015, I got the bugs and let me just go back and just train a little bit. And I said, well, I don't, the quick stuff is just, I, I, I'm not into a part, I don't have a part to go to. So let me just, just get in shape and see where I'm at. But that's when, you know, you know, I'll say you see a very large number, but just part of athletes being raw lifters. And you just pay attention to it. Well, uh, you know, you know, Lane Norton and, and um, what's the name? Uh, Justin Norris we're talking about? Yeah, and uh, what's the name who does a lot of programming for a lot of lifters? Um, shoot, uh, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, he said he developed the RPE system. Oh, yeah, Mike Tashir. Mike Tashir. So he was a quip lifter. He was yeah. the first really a top lifter and went from equipped to raw lifting. And so I started yeah. taking notice. And so when I started getting training, I said, well, let me just do the, the quip, this raw lifting, because you look at in terms of popularity, a lot of you see a, a lot of this, 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 this kind of raw lifting. And I said, that's how I, I got into it. So I think if raw lifting was back when I, I've probably been a raw lift. Mm. Because you, you always want to measure yourself against the toughest competition. Right. And, and that's what I, I like to gauge myself. Because it spurs yourself, it, it challenges yourself to how you train. And so if you don't have a lot of competition, you're training against yourself, yeah, you, you, can, you can be motivated. But if you have, you know, a competitive, you know, energy in yourself and you like to measure yourself against a large competitive group, then it spurs you to train harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't find yourself in the moments like you did when you're against Jesse Norris and your handlers like, look it, this is, is going to sound crazy. I know you just missed your last lift, but this is what we need to win. And you're like, load the bar. You're going to load the bar with what you need to load the bar with, you know, because you want to win. Out on my shield, you know, what is it? Either I'm carrying my shield home or I'm, or I'm on my shield, but that's it. You know, we're, we're, we're swinging for the gold here. We're not, we're not taking consolation prizes. Well, we did pretty good, you know? Exactly. So, so yeah, you, you, you need that competition to push you. Um, you've seen so many faces change in your day. I mean, you were around um, throughout the eighties, the nineties is when you really started picking up, sort of winning world titles. And some of these characters, like when you think back, like Captain Kirk, you know, and, and all, all the different guys who were, were lifting at the time, 
Who are some of the guys that stand out to you um, that were some of the juggernauts at the time when you were winning world championships that you were a little in awe and, and a fan of watching as well? Well, the, the fascinating part was, uh, of course, Carlos USA was a magazine, and they come out with their fall issue when you see people win their world championship. And so when I went to my first world championship and 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 being on the same team with um, with Dan Austin, uh, Gene Bell, and Ed Cohen, at the, I, I left with Ed Cohen at the, the tournament I went to South Africa with. And on that same team was Walter Thomas. He had just turned 50, and he won his world. The last world champion at 50. And I thought now I'm being 50 years old, still competing. And so, uh, but Ed, but uh, but Dan Austin, his technique was flawless. Uh, and he didn't do the South African one. He and I competed at the same national, just because national, uh, lives in Texas. And I had a bigger squat, bigger bench. So I had a hundred pound lead going into the dinner. Okay. <laughs> And, and so you're uh, high five and you're high five and the fellas and you're like, yeah, right. You you're already getting the cocktails ready for tonight. You're like ordering your food. You're like, let's let's get this after party going. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, 165. So I think I pulled so I think 650, something like that. I think what it was. And so he had to pull like a 749 to beat me. And and then and after I pulled mine, then they load the bar. I said, if he pulls this, he's the man. And he pulled it. It, it was amazing. And so, uh, and he's a great guy. And uh, I think it was in Las Vegas at the time. But when it came down for the World Championship, he he uh, didn't he, he couldn't go. And so I was the alternate. I had an opportunity to go to South Africa. And I was in, in the military, stationed in Japan. And uh, and by that by that fortunate occurrence, I was able to go to South Africa uh, and fly almost almost 24 hours and win another World Championship in South Africa. See, that's that's where it says like just show up. Some people don't show up if they if they think they might lose. But if you don't show up, you don't qualify, you can't move forward. And this is what I tell everybody is like show up. LS McLean who is a massive uh, like he looks up to you. We've had him on the podcast a few times and and I don't got to tell you when in Belarus when LS won for the first time um like he started crying and he had you come up on the podium with him. And um, before he had done that, he was on the podcast talking about like how you were an inspiration to him and how, uh, you know, how much it means to him to like, just know you're walking around out there and inspires him. So when he goes to his first world championship, it wasn't his first world, but his the first one he wins was his first world. Okay. He went as an alternate, a fourth alternate out. This is straight out of a Disney movie, you know, where yeah. he's fourth out. So you're thinking, what's the chances I'm going to even be on the team? I need all these guys to fall out. Well, they all fell out. Now you're on the team. What's the chances I'm going to win when I couldn't even make the team. I needed three guys to fall out in front of me. He ends up winning the world championships. Like it's, he ended up winning the next year as well as an alternate again, as an alternate. And this is where the myth of Ellis McLean as an alternate became, Hey, listen, if Ellis shows and he's an alternate, be careful, be careful. The stars are aligned, but the, it just goes to show show up you know some people are like they don't want to show up unless they know they can win you know you know, like i know you've competed over 80 times and it's ridiculous at this point so you don't have fear you don't have fear of showing up anymore but some people really are like that and, and they almost won't show unless they think they might even have it in the bag it's very difficult in the u.s too because it's so competitive you know there's nowhere to run or hide when it's u.s nationals to make a national team is phenomenal 
of those um, 90s, is there any moments like world championships that stick out to you in terms of wins when you were in, in the equipped days? Um, well, the South Africa was kind of unique because that was my last time being a 165er. And, and I had, and I got the call, maybe six weeks out that I was going to be the guy. But my, as I was getting older, I was turning heavier and heavier. I weighed almost 81, 82 kilos. <laughs> okay, so we got a cut coming. <laughs> yeah, and so, and then, so that's just one thing. But then this is not like you're driving across town to your local meet. I had to travel from, I had to take a U.S. carrier to do the military. So I had to go from Japan to L.A., L.A. to New York, New York to, uh, to South Africa. And so, you know, you figure all that, all that traveling and then make weight at the venue. And so I, I made the weight. I told myself, if I do make weight, this is the last time I, I compete at 165 because it, it was just too hard on my body. And uh, so that, that was kind of memorable. But my last you know, open world championship was in Italy. And, uh, um, and I took second the year before and, and, it, and it came to my last better uh, to, to win my the world championship 181. And, and I remember like yesterday, it was like 733 pounds. Uh, they put the weight on the bar to win it. And, and I smoked it. And this, to hear the national anthem again, it just, that, knowing that, you know, I was, you know, I think it was 40. And to win another world championship, that I thought that's a situation. I, I thought that was the end of my career. I mean, that, I, I couldn't do any better. <laughs> it's so crazy how people would you would think that at 40 years old, you're telling yourself, well, that's gotta be it though. I mean, because I pushed it, I pushed it being 40 and winning the open. That's a push. You know, you gotta be thinking like, you know, okay, I'm getting greedy to ask for more. That was in 99. You had no idea, right? It's kind of like, oh, you don't even this is like the if this was a your the story of your life you're in the middle chapters right yeah, you're right I, I i used to think that once you hit 30 especially in the strength game that you can hang on a little bit but but definitely not being the top guy let alone once you get to 40 and then 50 there's no that that's not even, that's not even part of your chapter you, you're into another book uh, <laughs> This is the that this is the set the follow up book. This is the second book. The book is McLose is rewritten. But I remember I'm talking about Ellis McLean. It was interesting. First time I met him, it was the it was the Raw Nationals in um, in Orlando, and I knew him a little bit, not a lot, but he was on the social media. And uh, so we were talking a little bit, and uh, it's funny. He said, you know, he just joked me. He said, "Thank." He just said, "Hey, you the guy?" I said, ah, "I'm okay." He said, "No, no." So even my wife, even my girlfriend knows who you are. What do you mean? He says, she looked at the list and said, oh, there's Dave. Uh, I guess you can be competing for second place. He said, no, 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 no. I just, and so that's the first time we, we met. But I told him, and I first I said, I, I, I asked him, you know, in terms of training, how you started. I said, you're, you're in your mid-30s. I said, you haven't cracked the surface. I said, if you keep the way you're going to do it, I see multiple world championships in, 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 your, in your horizon. And I said that then. And that's before he won. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And he and had, I, well, we know how that story ends. He's already won too. Exactly. So, so actually, that meet, I think I think I took first at that, at that national, but he had the winning pool in his hand. He couldn't finish it, and so uh, it was a great meet for everyone. So, but 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 you, when you see folks like that who has that potential and has that drive and dedication, you know that 
there's more more opportunity in the horizon to keep at it. And just like you said, you got to show up. How how has the training changed since you first began in the in the early '80s? Like you were in '81, I and you're 21. I almost wish you got a, a one competition in in the '70s because then you could say you competed in all these different decades. It's freaking crazy. I can't wrap my head around it, but. Um, I guess I guess the, the the easy answer would be a lot, Ryan. But um, how how much has training changed in what you guys knew about training from the early '80s into the '90s into the late '90s? Like, did you see? Was there a lot of changing from the early '80s to late '90s, or or to like 2020? Or did you see a big chunk of the change all at once near the end? Because like you said, Mike Tashir, Mike T adopted RPE system. And now you're not using percentages. You're not using, you know, like maybe take us through a little bit of, of the evolution you saw with the sport like that. Well, is it because I started at the, the Nail Academy and we had a, a our, our lifting coach. He was a, worked with the Navy SEAL. He was a Navy SEAL guy. And you know the Navy SEALs are pretty tough, tough, tough. Uh, yes, tough. sir. Uh, so his theory was go heavy, go off. <laughs> okay. So you go every week, you go heavy, and you lift, you know, squat heavy twice a week, and pull heavy every week, and bench heavy, you know, almost twice a week. And so as a young lifter who never did anything, you had some positive reinforcements because your body was just a raw, or just just a just a raw, raw onion, but uh, after I graduated, uh, I didn't did that for one year and started lifting by myself. Going heavy all the time, it just beat up on my body. And so just my own limitation, I went to a light and heavy day time of squatting. But, but I, I think the, I think two things. One is nutrition. How nutrition has evolved in sport versus just taking what we call the, the other chemical stuff. Because I mean, back in the, in the early 80s, you know, the guys who really get strong, some of the guys were taking the other stuff. Wasn't nothing wrong. Everyone has their own personal choice, but if you and I was a military officer, so you know, you couldn't you couldn't take that to stay you stay with your career, be a leader of your career, lead by example. So I I, I started trying to improve my nutrition, and nutrition now is, is really proved to a great point that you can really achieve most of your goals being a natural lifter. Mm -hmm. The the other piece of that is is just the training techniques in terms of being smart on how to train. Now with the social media and everything else, you can learn all wide different angles because of how different uh, in terms of information streams, in terms of how to lift better. Uh, so you're not, you're not training poorly for a long period of time and injuring yourself. Uh, and, and, and the equipment's got better, especially the knee sleeves. Before you had to wear basically knee wraps, uh, knee sleeves wasn't really worth their weight and goal in terms of supporting your knees. Now they're like, when I got back in 2015, tried to tighten and the other knees, I said, man, this is like a knee wrap. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it changed the mindset that your, knee, your knees wasn't the limiting factor in terms of how to train. Um, and so, but the also the information age in terms of the, the ability to gain information as even a young lifter, you can tap into a lot of stuff and you can just, you don't, and you don't need to be at a local power gym you can probably get a lot of your information from those various streams and then you know, tap into a look a, a we call a virtual coach to help you along. And right. so it, it helped because now what it does is allow people, athletes from different sports to jump into it and become very exceptional. Whereas before it used to be 
only the guys who couldn't do other stuff would be a problem. Mm. Now it's the other way around. Now you've got athletes from different sports uh, who are exceptional that, and they get in the powerlifting. They're like, they just jump into guys, you know, folks who are crossfitters. Uh, now I'm getting the powerlifting, and they just jump, they just jump to 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 the lead of the pack because they already got the athlete mindset how to train, and then you give them a little technique, some other things, then they pull out together, and then they're just exceptional people. And so uh, I find it just, just just really unique. But but with nutrition and how to train smarter, I think is also allow other people who are a little older, you know, I'll say older 40 plus, to still do some great things. And so I don't say I'm exceptional, but I think there's more people like me who probably could do more in the sport if they just kind of give it by a chance to get back into it and they can really be surprised what, what they can do. do. Do you think, was there a big change in terms of the lifting structure for like how often you lift, rep ranges, et cetera, from the 80s to 90s? Was there much of a change or was it, or was it more or less the same, nothing too much changed in, in those two eras. Well, I, I don't, well, well, with the equipped lifting, because you had to, you know, use a percentage, not a percentage, um, and because you're using a lot heavier numbers, and so you, you couldn't do it all the time. And so now with raw lifting, you can put, you can work at a lower range, range and, and probably a little more volume and not, over, and not overtrain yourself. But equipped lifting, because the numbers are so big and so, so heavy in terms of with your natural body, you have to back it down a little bit. And so, uh, but but I, I was surprised that with you know when I got into really raw, raw lifting, that my body could handle working at a rep range uh, that that I thought was un, uh, unachievable. And so that that training thing I did in September, uh, 320 kilos for three reps. I would say if I was lifting in the early 90s, I would have knee wraps on, a full suit, belt. I'll be, you know, you know, I'll be button for beer. I would never have done that with just knee sleeves and a belt. There, there's no way. <laughs> do do some of these guys from the 80s and 90s ever contact you and be like, damn, Dave, you still at it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. They, they just like they just shake their heads like they don't know how I do it. I and I I'm I kind of question myself, but. Yeah, because if I looked at everybody I lifted at, you know, at those world championships in the 80s and 90s, and that's like, hey, I'm the I'm one, one hanging around here a little bit. So, um, and I don't think I'm exceptional. I just think I've just been fortunate enough and had any major injuries. Uh, but I've, I've taken time off here and there to take care of lives and family and other stuff. And when I got it back into it, I just eased into it. I didn't try to jump back to the same, same way I was. And I didn't have high expectations every time I took time off, came back into it, I said, let me just start very simple and see what works. So this latest, you know, evolution where I took, you know, 2014 off and got back almost a year later, spring of 2015, I had no expectations at all. I said, let me, just, let me get back in shape. And then after about a couple months of training, I said, I got that book, I want to compete again. And so Matt Gary had an invitation to meet in July of 2015 and I, and I called him, I think, uh, I think late May, yeah, maybe late May, that I got you, you get to meet for new lifters. I just want to qualify for the Raw National being a master lifter. And at that time, what you do is do a token lift. I said, yeah, Dave, we'll let you, let you be a guest lifter. However, Dave, you can't just lift token lifts. I said, why? Because you're the guy. And if they, if they know you're there, they want to see you do stuff. I said, I only got six weeks. And that tells me, 
says that's your problem, not my problem. <laughs> he, he was my first, you know, nudge, kicking the pants. Okay, if you're gonna do this. Let's let's do this. And so, uh, I, you know, in that short period of time, you know, squatting above, you know, five fifteen, barely benching three hundred, and then uh, pulling five fifty, and then that was, you know, July two thousand fifteen, and and that and that September was the national. And I got better. I squatted and pulled over six and bench, you know, in the high threes. And I, I wasn't sure how much more I could do uh, coming back. And then you speed up to the, to that, uh, that world championship in Texas. Uh, but as I got, about eight weeks out and I started training, my squat numbers started, I got to a good power gym and it has some good, when you get a good, good place to train and some good support, it really takes your training to a whole nother level because you have guys, people that can help you and push yourself. And that's what they did. And my training numbers were where I could, I was pushing, you know, around 300 kilos for, for some reps. I said, and I looked at what the world championship, I looked at the, uh, I'll, well, first my, I was going to set the official M2 records uh, because I, I, I booked them at the nationals in uh, September of uh, 2015, but that was unofficial. I want to officially break them. And I, when I started training, I said, well, besides the M2 records, the open record is not that far off. And uh, if I have a good day or whatever, I'm going to put that on the bar if I have a good day. And I was fortunate enough and blessed enough that, that everything fell into place. And so, um, but yeah, if you'd have told me, you know, that was almost a year from, yeah, almost about 12, 13 months from getting back on the platform again, if you told me squatting, going from squatting 515 to almost, you know, almost, uh, almost 11 months later, breaking the world record, 100, almost 100 pounds later, I was like, no, I don't know about that one. That <laughs> seems ambitious. Seems ambitious. Who, who, um, who initially was coaching you, and who's coaching you now? This is fascinating. I have basically coached myself most of my career. I mean, in terms of day-to-day, day-to-day training, I really yeah. coached. And so when I get to a meet, when I go to a you know a world meet, of course you have the team coaches, then they work their numbers, whatever. But in terms of how I train on a regular basis, I just coach the coach myself because uh, I know how I feel uh, and I, I stay within my capabilities. Uh, but I always, you know, when I get to you know a uh, especially in training, when I'm doing a heavy lift, I try guys look at my technique, give me some, give me some, see some flaws in what I'm doing, and I get some feedback from people who are at the power gym. But in terms of setting up a training program and how I train, I I've just done it so often. I just I know how to, I, I just I just know who I am. <laughs> here's here's the thing too. Like, in terms of um, if you went with a coach, they don't know. You're such an anomaly in terms of a six year old doing what you're doing. So, like like are they gonna throw volume at you like they might do a 25 year old or are they going to? Like your 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 body's different, and you figured you're you're because you're aging into it naturally. You're not just giving this to a 25 year old and say figure it out. We got six weeks, so you know how to prep it. You, you've gotten as you've gotten older, whatever adjustments you've made here and there, you've made it and kind of like cataloged them. You're like, okay, now I know this is working. That's working. So it makes sense that you're like, look at when you're the trailblazer, it's tough because you're going first. So when people like, how do you train a guy to be in his late fifties, breaking open world records? It's like, well, we're not sure because there hasn't, there's not a big sample size. You know, you've mentioned a couple of the guys, but 
a sample size usually for like a scientific sample size they say is like 200 like you're not gonna find that so it's like it's kind of unique so it's, it's cool but it's also difficult because you have to figure it out yourself you can consult someone like a mike t but he'll be like my man I've never seen a six-year-old doing this. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not sure. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you, try this out. And then something bad happens. You blow a hamstring. You're like, well, thanks, Mike. This is where the story ends. This is the last chapter. And it's because of, you know what I mean? I'm just saying Mike T because you brought him up, but, um, but you do need on the flip side, as you get close to a competition, that eye to look at it, not in terms of like maybe what loads you should have on your back, but to be like, how long was this pause? How deep was this squat? Like, be honest with me. Is that deep enough? Is that long enough pause? What is that, are these shoulders locked back in the deadlift? Otherwise, you get onto the, the platform. You know, one of the things that people will say, and everyone loves you, would be like, his squat, if it's not deep enough, it gets dicey, it gets dicey. It, there, there's moments you're like, oh God, Dave, don't make it this exciting. It's exciting, because if you hit it, if you hit that squat, my God, Dave, you've built a foundation of which a total is going to be magnificent. But if you miss it, it's like, oh no. Um, is that probably like the one of the number one things where you like, I need someone to check out my squat depth? Yeah, I mean, so you big into it. So when you pick up the pillar roof, so I was the number one guy going in. And so um, I think I played sick because I only got my opening squat in. And I looked at the numbers. If I got a second squat in, I could have won the whole thing. Right, right. <laughs> and so but and Alice had a great meet. But from a technical standpoint, my I had some flaws in my technique, and so those things. And so the other, and so the other time was is when I met you actually in Calgary. That's I had right, yeah. That was the Masters World Championship, and I was looking to break the open. I was going to put the open squat record on the bar, and I couldn't get a lift in. And it wasn't it wasn't the weight was too heavy, but my technique was a little off. And uh, and I and so I, I you know, some folks the, the dominant you know on the left and they, they call it a day. I said no, I'm gonna finish. And I had a PR bench and a PR dinner. Hey man, hey you know what? That's how you turn it around. You know what I mean? Like I didn't fly out here for nothing. And so you know? so I had a good time. We helped other people. So and then the sport is there to to be with other people. And so it's not all about what you do on the platform. And so you had to put everything in perspective. And I've been a whole lot of different you know local and national world competition. So, you know, not doing well is not the world's coming in. You know, people have other challenges in life. Mine is nothing compared to what it is. But but it was a humbling experience that okay, I, I I said I cannot go out like that. I said I had to go back to school a little bit and, and, and recalibrate myself in terms of my technique. And I did that and to uh put myself back on track. And so you, you have those moments where you, you you get out of out of sync and you have to recalibrate. You have to humble yourself. And get some input and, and and be honest with yourself, what you do. And so, even though I've been doing this almost 40 years, there's only three times I, I, I bombed, and the one in 1989, 1989, well, that, uh, where I didn't didn't I was in Wolf where I didn't uh, where I didn't uh, cut the weight right and and won it in the right way. The second time was in the bench, it was the nationals, and my technique was off, and I kept lifting my head, and mm. it wasn't it was just that and the third time was at the world championship and so uh each time i had to kind of okay now what i did wrong and so those are good we call um only moments but you can't let this stop you because you is not when you fall and stumbles is how you pick yourself up 
And that's the testament of, of, of a true chapter in terms of personal fortitude, in terms of how you do when you stumble. Because no, no, no life's journey is perfect. You always have those challenges in, in your personal life and professional life. And, and those type of things, when you learn how to recover from that, it's, it's a great you know, mental tool, no matter what happens to you in life. It's, 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 um, yeah, 100%. And, and it's, you showed like afterwards by hitting a bench and hitting a PR bench, deadlift, et cetera, coming down. I think it was either that day or the next day, hopping on the mic with me, commentating another session. You're like, look it, I'm here. Let's not, let, I, I could, if I bomb on squats, I could leave it there and let the day end there. So it's only bad. And that's all I have. Or I could, put on my big boy pants, go out there and squat, or sorry, go out there and bench, go out there and deadlift, grab the mic, commentate a session, make a day of it, create some moments. I remember me and you running around back after the fellas, we did the M193s, which is your weight class as well. And um, afterwards, I'm like, whoa, that was a pretty good session. You're like, let's go back and see the boys. And I was like, all right, because I know they want to see you. And me and you ran around into the warm-up room like, oh shit, it's David Rex. And you were like high-fiving everybody and congratulating them. Um, the guy who won the, the M193s is Brandon Suvers. He's from my hometown. Like he's one of the guys who taught me how to power lift when I first started. So when we went around the back and he saw you, like, I know he knows who you are. He's been competing since the nineties, since he's young. So he's like, holy, sh-. he, that was his, he won the world championships. And then David Ricks congratulates him. It's, it's a, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a moment. So it's, if, if you take anything from it, it's like, if something goes wrong or doesn't go as planned, if you stop there, that is then it then the story of Calgary is a tragedy because you stopped when something went wrong. But if you keep going, it's not a tragedy anymore because you you smash a bench and hit your dead. You have you hop on the mic and you belt off a session. The world gets to hear you. The powerlifting community gets to hear you. You swing around back. You have a moment. And you're like, I actually had a good time today. So it's not. You know, it's, 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 I know it's corny and people say it's like, it's what you make of it, but it really is, man. It's a metaphor for life. If you stop every time something goes wrong and you stop there and that's where you call it a day, well then, yeah, it was a bad day, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? But the day's not over yet. You know, how do you want it to end? Like, it's okay to be mad in the moment, but you got to pick yourself up and keep trucking. It, it, it's funny too, the gentleman um, that won the M293s, um, oh, he, and he only he only won because you bombed out. He wouldn't have won. He knows this. I remember asking him afterwards. He's Canadian as well. And I oh, go, he, yeah, he's Canadian as well. In Can- the World Championships were in Canada. And he's like, look, and I'm not going to lie. I didn't think I was going to beat David Riggs. It's Superman, for God's sake. He goes, the World Championships were in Canada. He's, I was like, what's next? He goes, are you kidding me? It gets no better than this. I'm retiring. It's over. <laughs> he's like how do i top this what are you talking about this, this is the this is the top story it's over it's, it's we're done we're done it's, it's over it was, a, it, was, it was a fun day man it was a good day good day no mommy but but the people you meet along that journey it just it just it, 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 it just makes your day i mean everybody has a unique story and so another one was so so that was 2018 right and so and though now it's a year later, now I'm at the World Championship in Sweden. And uh, and there were guys back in the 80s and 90s or masters walk up to me and say, Are you the guy? I like, I mean, I mean they just walk, they, they take a picture. I, it, was, it was amazing. The most fascinating story was after I lifted, uh, it was the 83 kilos, I think it was the 
Jim Tuzer was, yeah. Um, and the guy from uh, Uruguay, I think it was. I forgot it was. I forgot where he went from. Country. And so he was warming up, and I was putting the weights on the on the bar for him. And he looked around, he saw me, and he was speaking <laughs> what language speaking. So I said, "What are you saying?" He said, the, 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 "The guy was holding the bar for me." The Dave Rick, I was like, "No, no, I'm just here to help you out." <laughs> they're like David Ricks. They're like David Ricks doesn't load the bar. That's not what he does. He doesn't. You shouldn't sully your hands with these with these warm up weights, sir. Yeah, people are great. It was just I'm lifting as M3, won the World Championship, and lifting the UAT. And that, that was uh, and meeting everyone there. Uh, it just it, it was great. It was it was it was awesome. <laughs> Is it um? How does it feel like having competed for so many years, over so many decades? You've seen so many people come and go, and that's like. I, look, at I've I started competing in 2007, and um, I've seen so many people come and go. And that's you started in '81. Like you've seen so many generations of athletes. Like an athletic career can be four or five years. And so, you, if you if that's like a wave, you how many waves you've seen come and go, um, and how many you know the game change and and then change over and over again. Does it when you show up at the World Championships, you know, is is it feel different for you now or do you still feel the same do you still does david rick still get nervous the night before and when you're in the warm-up room are you still like Ooh, okay here we go or or does it feel different now or, well i think i think i think you you have a sense of perspective on things uh i still get nervous no matter the time i get warm get, get on the platform warm up and so you go through that go through that and then he says now why am i doing this again i mean <laughs> <laughs> because you're not a young kid anymore. We only can focus on lifting. You got a lot of things on your plate into the family, personal life. So you have to keep it from perspective. But I think by I look at it from this standpoint, it's kind of you also have to have an outlet to uh, mental wellness to keep everything in perspective. And if you have an opportunity to train, that's one thing. You have to compete is one thing. And then to compete at a high level, that's a blessing on top of blessing. And mm -hmm. so I, I treat. I treat the opportunity to compete almost like just another gift, another day. And so you never take it for granted because anything can happen. And so just like at the, in Sweden, so I'm warming up. And uh, my goal was to, to uh, have the, uh, to break the open, put the 30 on the bar. And I didn't, as I warmed up, my last warm up was uh, 265 kilos. As I took it off the rack, as I walked back and I squatted down, as I came up, I lost my balance and I fell backwards. Oh no. And so everybody in the warm-up room was looking around like, oh man, what happened to him? And so uh, of course I so I talked to the coach and said, let's drop my opener. And uh, <laughs> were you rattled? Did you feel a little rattled? It's it's kind of weird feeling, right? Yeah, so it wasn't like it was too much weight, it just that I off my balance, but you never know. You just have those days. Right. And so sure. I dropped the opener to um, I think it's six the six seventeen must have been two eighty kilos. And so I opened it up and I take it now a little off balance and, uh, and, I, and I got two red lights. I, I, so I took it again for a second attempt and I crushed it. So I went to 310, no, 305 for my second attempt and I was a little mechanically off and I got bent forward and I just had to take the weight. And so uh, bench went pretty good. And then uh, I went to 280 for my second dead up, went to 305 and just, it just wasn't my day. And so even though, you know, from a my 
from what, what my goal was, a little off. But at the end of the day, I said, well, you know, I still won the world championship. Oh, by the way, I still broke a couple of world records. I said, that's a pretty good day. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you got to, exactly. You got to eat what's on the plate for that day. And when you keep showing up, you know, some days, like you've had in between some of those days where you're battling Jesse Norris and you're breaking records, you had other days where it was, the squat was far less, you know, the bench was far less. You've been there in between those, even those big moments. So you already know how it goes. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly. interesting. And you, you sort of, do you like, is there a point where you actually think you could walk away from the game when it's been a part of your life for, for, we're, we're coming in on 40 years? I, I, well, it, it, when I, when I left, when I, in 2014, when I took the time away and then I had the job change and that went from, you know, you know, uh, Atlanta, Georgia to Virginia, um, I thought I was really done with the sport. You know, I, it, just a lot of stuff going on. And so I didn't have the, mindset or the energy to get back to heavy lifting. I, I want to train to stay in shape and you, you, can, you can do maintenance training and without thinking too hard and work two or three days a week. But the, the drive and dedication to train you know, at a competitive level, it wasn't there anymore. I said, well, maybe that's, I had a good career and I did the Arnold and, and, uh, and I said, I call it a day. Uh, but now following spring, I got back and got to a good commercial gym and, and start, you know, getting back in shape a little bit, I said, I, can I do this again? I don't know. And and I started that journey. So, uh, and if you'd have told me that was 2000, that was, a, you know, summer 2015 when I hit my first meet to where I'm at today, I would, there's no way. I, I said, there's no way I would be sitting here today talking to you uh, and about, the, I didn't think I had another big chapter in my life, uh, mm. to be honest, uh, to hit, you know, the break the world record is one thing, break it once, but to break it multiple times um, <laughs> at plus 50, uh, no, I, and then do, you know, go to a, a you call a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 you call a, uh, a fundraising meet and do 320 kilos for three reps. And actually, I was going to do it for one, but I told the guy, let's kind of take a rep at a time. And I can surprise myself. That was a PR rep. Uh, but to, to be at that point in 2015 where I just started get back into it to where I'm at today, I, I thought, you know, when you get your 50, there's no much, you can't, you, yeah, you can be in shape, you can, you, you can hang out with the, we call the mature crowd, but to be able to be competitive against the folks that are like many decades or junior, I thought those days were gone. And that's just it. You know, he used to be the guy, he used to do that. Uh, I heard those, those type of stories and I said, maybe that's, that's all. Uh, I have no problem being that, being that type of guy, but I, I, but I always think that if still, if I have the energy and I have the potential and, and the, the drive to do that and, and, and I'm blessed to have the strength, uh, life is never given. You don't have, no day is, is given to you. And so you take a day at a time and you just do the, do the, kind of make the best of every day. And so that's how I, I, I try to train myself. And so so even for right now, I'm not sure what my next step is going to be in terms of lifting, but yeah, that thing and I did in September, like I'm gonna have a little bit else to think. So I would have to kind of figure out what my next step is going to be when I got something in the tank. Uh, but just to train, the sake of just taking a medal, uh, I don't, I'm not that type of guy. I, either it's all or nothing, and or just just train, stay in shape, and be be a coach. It was no big deal, which I can do. I'm not 
that, uh, I can do that. Uh, but but the, the, the compete at a high level, uh, it takes a, a like as you will know, it takes a unique level of dedication and support, and you got to make sure everything is all in the right place. Because uh, mm -hmm. you don't want to like like anyone anyone who competes at that level, you don't do it just you know half-assed. You do it. You make sure that you can put all you put all the chips on the table and, and see what happens. Right. So, Either dip my toe in the water and I'll train a couple days a week and see where I'm at. No, no. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up a plan. I'm going to work the plan and see how it goes. Fair enough. A couple things that people were asking. Once they found out that you were on the podcast, <laughs> um, what do you say before you squat? What's the ritual? Before you oh, go up and squat, what, what is it? Before you lift? It's unique and, and it's evolved over a period of time. Uh, and it just, uh, you know, some people have the mantra and I, I don't know how I started, but somehow I got to a point where, especially for a squat or dead up, uh, I, I say, let's go to work. And, and so what I try to do is just focus on what's in front of me, not to crowd anything else, and just think about the technique. I've trained myself up to this point, and all I got to do is focus on execution. And so, so it helps me, like some folks, you know, smell, you know, uh, we call it ammonia, some other things. Somebody get a pat on the back. That's what I do to kind of focus my mental energy. So when I get underneath that weight or go to grab that bar, I am locked in. Right. And it, it probably jacks up your adrenaline levels. Like people, everyone has these rituals and it means you're locked in, like you said, you're focused. And it's all part of the cubing system. And if you're not a lifter, you don't understand. If you're a lifter, you 100% get it. And um, as a commentator, sometimes I'll see somebody who comes out, same rituals every time. And then when they come out to a new PR weight, and you can tell it's a PR weight because you see on their profile what the previous PR is, if they don't do that ritual or it looks a little off, they hesitate, you can tell if someone's confident. Like when you come out and do your thing, you're all in. If you okay. came out and you half-assed that little ritual and you're like, you know, you're, you're, you could tell like you're hesitant a little bit. I'd be like, oh, he's not going to get it. You could tell sometimes when people, you got to go all in. It's all part of the queuing process and getting the adrenaline going, you know? Um, you could see it sometimes like this person's, this weight is in their head. If it's the first time they're hitting a new plateau, like this is the first time over 600 or whatever it is in their life story. You could see it sometimes written on their face. Um, here's another one. How did you get the nickname Superman? Did that just come about? And, um, and how, do you know when it happened? I have to, the, actually the term got coined by Matt Gary. Was and, it? Yeah, I, I used to come to his, if I was traveling, I would come to his place train once in a while, but but he coined the term Superman uh, because he says, Dave, I don't know how you keep, you know, competing against these young kids at your age. And that's how he coined the term. And so, uh, so he would, you know, he would post stuff saying there's Dave Rick Superman doing stuff. And he had a little video saying, Superman lands at his training gym. I, so he, he he coined the term. And so I was like, what the heck? <laughs> when was this? So this was, so what he, if he was saying at your age, this must have been fairly recent or was this? Probably, um, probably in the 50s, yeah. Because, yeah, when I got into my 50s, I think, yeah. Uh, that's when I think the term got coined, yeah. Because by the time, that's interesting, because by the time Calgary ran around, um, I remember everybody was like Superman, Superman. And when you were 
I think even when you were bottling like two years before, when you were bottling Jesse Norris, I think people were saying Superman, Superman. They were saying like that's Superman. So it already had started uh, around that time, and that was late '50s. So yeah, it's weird how things happen, right? Where people start a nickname, but that's a tough one, man. That's a, that's a little big to live up to where you're like, holy smokes, Matt, couldn't you have picked like, <laughs> of all the nicknames, man, I don't know how far this run is going to go before we call me Superman. I mean, obviously the story ends well and you lived up, but still you're like, wow, Matt, take it easy. You know, I used to joke, he was calling me Superman and I was just turn to you and I, and you, you me and him. And then he would pull stuff on his, you know, on his Facebook page and gym, stuff like that. And then someone else picked it out. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, that's how social media works, man. It is a thing. It probably would take off without you knowing because um, you weren't on social media at the time. So you wouldn't even necessarily know that's what people were calling you. One dude says it between you and him, and all of a sudden it takes off. Next time you show up at a competition, six months later, it's all over social media. You're like, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> what is, what are people calling me this? This is crazy. Uh, how, what do you think is, is the, because you've seen a lot of like movement with powerlifting, expansion onto social media, expansion onto the streams. The stream gets millions of views, et cetera. What is, is there anything that you wish that you could still see happen? Do you think that you'd still change? Or do you think, because you saw right from the beginning of 81, obviously, is there anything that you wish would have, or even that you wish would have happened sooner? Like in the 90s, where you're like, wow, I wish we would have had this in the 90s. Well, I, well, uh, probably the information age in terms of social media, because I mean, now uh, anyone who starts in sport very quickly can become very good at it. Right. And so the ability to find out what other people are doing, right? It, it, as like I said earlier, when I started, it was the USAPL magazine, part of the USA, and you look for the, you know, the training, you know, training routine of the week, uh, and you see big numbers and interviews with top athletes. And so you gain a little bit, but that's only a, I only give you a small piece of information in terms of what, what the story behind the story they call it. But now with, you know, different social media platforms, you can get people to talk about stuff, people interview stuff. And, and then when you can watch people lift during an event, you can really see, you know, whether or not, you know, he's the real deal or she's the right. real deal. And so uh, that, that, so the social media in terms of how you can, you can watch basically, you know, top lifts in action, it really is expand the sport to like me. I mean, me talking with you, you're in Canada. This is right. I had a podcast with a guy in, in, in the UK. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm sitting here in Florida. Because <laughs> <laughs> without the technology, it'd be like, well, let's write a letter. Uh, and so that's all it used to be. Uh, so, so I think it's made the support almost like a smaller community uh, to do that. So everybody, you know, you have a better understanding in terms of, in terms of, in terms of people lifting and, and, and they keep those everyone. And, and because I think the raw lifting that you can do almost anyway, you can have like a home gym, whatever, and be and do very well in terms of in terms of what you want to do. There's a guy, uh, he's lifting in a local tournament in Maryland, and and he's a male poster carrier. And because of the pandemic, he's lifting at a Planet Fitness. And Planet Fitness is probably like all the commercial gyms are probably on the low scale in terms of capability. Yes. And he's and he's training and he's 
and he's and he's, he's going to make it work. But it's all he's got. Right. Now, if he was doing a quick lifting, there's no way he was going to do that. No <laughs> Can you imagine breaking out a bench shirt at Planet Fitness? That would be amazing. I would love to see him putting on a bench shirt, having like a board press bench shirt with six guys around him. That would, oh my God. So, but, but the raw lifting is now, as other people who are not familiar with powerlifting, can see a raw lifter say, well, that's impressive. And you don't have to tell them anything. They can see just a belt and easily said, well, that's true test of strength. And so I, I, so I think where the sport is now in terms of showing raw lifting as, you know, a true showcase of strength, uh, it's really expanded the sport and hopefully one day it becomes Olympics. But, but that's a whole other story. But, but I think this raw lifting, you know, explosion has really uh, brought a lot of people into the sport who never were great athletes and say, man, look, look, look what they're doing. And so, uh, and so I, for myself, I consider myself fortunate and blessed that a guy at my age, 61 years old, is still being talked about saying, he's still got something left in the tank. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, you, you you have no idea how much of an inspiration. Look, it's the human element. Every single one of us are going to age. It doesn't matter if you're 25 um, and you're like, well, what inspiration would I give a kid who's 25 in his prime? He knows. You're not, you, you can't be... We all know how the story ends. We're all aging. There's nothing we could do about this. So it is always going to be inspirational when that human element is there and you see a guy 60 years old doing what you're doing. There's not a man, woman, person alive who isn't going to draw inspiration from that and be like, go get him, man. Go get him, Dave. You know, it's, it's, it's always going to be a story for everybody. Um, here's, here's two questions that might take, these are be the last two questions. I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you very much, by the way. I know we're coming in at nine 30 here, but um, two, these last two questions, you might, maybe you got to think about when you answer them. Um, if you could talk to a young David Ricks, eighties, 1980s. Okay. The original, the original karate kid is going on right now. Not this Cobra Kai on Netflix, Okay, this is this is Terminators out. Arnold Schwarzenegger's all the rage. Reagan is president. All right. Donald Trump is still just a playboy millionaire. All right. This is the this is the dirty 80s, David. If you could go back in time and talk to that young David Ricks, what would you tell him for advice? What piece of advice would you give that young man that you think he might eat? And it doesn't have to be powerlifting related. It could be overall life related whatever kind of advice, what would you tell that young man? Well, I probably would tell that young kid that uh, you have to keep everything in balance uh, because the sport, you're not, get, you're not gonna get rich by it. You're not gonna get overfamous by it. You should use it as a, a, a compliment to your career and, and your personal life. Uh, and then when you train, don't overtrain because this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And so don't be all focused on the next meet, whatever it is. Think about the journey. Just enjoy the journey and with how it takes you. Um, and because when you're young, you always want to, you always want to kind of plant your flag or get that, that recognition that you're the guy, you've done something. And so there's a drive and energy to push yourself. But sometimes you overdo it because you just, because you get a little success in the gym, a little success in the meet, and you push it just a little bit too much. And, and when you're young, you don't realize you're overtraining, over pushing until you hit hit that wall. And then that wall becomes a a we call a a we call a reflection point 
or a point of understanding say, okay, if you keep doing this, this is gonna be something that is gonna hurt you in the long run. And so as a young guy, I would say, just be patient and don't overdo it and understand this is a, a long journey. Don't get fixated about the next meet or whatever that competition, because there's, there's gonna be more meets out there, little opportunities uh, in your career. And this is not, that next meet is not the meet of the, that whatever that meet is, either national, local, whatever, is not the meet of the meet. I mean, it's, it's a competition to test yourself, but don't get all focused and all, mostly wound up about doing well or not doing well at that meet, because there'll be other opportunities. Right, I can only imagine um, young David Ricks being like, this This local meet means everything. I need. And he has no idea 40 years later, all this is going on. It's, and you don't even remember that local meet that he was so fixated on. It would be hilarious if you two were in the same room. That young David Ricks who has that local meet coming up and he can't sleep because of it. And you're like, kid, <laughs> it'll be all right, relax. Just take it, take a breath. Um, well said, sir. And, and the last, last uh, question, when all is said and done, okay, and you, and, and you finally do, let's say you're your dad's age and you look back on your career and everyone else looks back on your career, how do you want them to remember you? Well, two, two, two things, well, two things. One, that you know, I'm a family man and a Christian uh, and that's foremost in my life. Uh, and then my wife, who's a you know, been you know, cancer free, is is truly my my hero myself. But in terms of the sport itself, I say just say that he was he did the best he could with the talents he had. But he also also gave back to the sport. So I'm a, I coach people once in a while who want to be who contact me. But also I, I give back and I've been a national and also a local referee. And I think that's key to the. To the growth of the sport in terms of helping other people because people will enter the sport with different aspects of their life and having someone who's positive someone who can coach them sometimes people are being coached because they want to get stronger but they but having someone that they can talk to helps them with some other aspects of their life and so i said i use you know lifting as a my form of mental wellness because it helps me get through work through those challenges and and i, I think lifting helps people Work, work through that stuff because uh, you you will have, like I said earlier, you'll have those things in life where you, you stumble a little bit and you have to find a way to get back up and do better. And by by lifting, it's, that weight never changes <laughs> and the bar is a bar. And having a simple focus on things you control helps you with those things in life. And so for my career, I would just, I would hope people would think that, you know, he was, uh, Nobody exceptional in terms of unique talent and any gifted, but he tried to do the best he could with what he had and he gave back to the sport. And so, and I think I'm fortunate blessed to have the longevity in the sport and have those unique moments because there's no way I could have, uh, uh, you call it, forecasted a career that I had. When I look back, I'm like, I did this, I did that, uh, that, then plus 50, oh, there's no way you there's no way you could write a book like that because it's a, well that's all fictional. There's no way he you know you know travel half around the world lose you know you know 13, 12, 13 pounds and won a world championship. Oh by the way he wins another one that is 40. Oh by the way uh, he breaks a couple of world records when he's 50. Oh by the way he did a a a uh, he did a a, a a meet for charity and squatting 320 for 61 years old. That ain't gonna happen. 
Right. And, and oh, by the way, he's a lifetime natural athlete. No, that, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> right, right, yeah, take it as it comes. How, uh, I, let me squeeze one more question. I said I got two, but I, I just go one more now though. You said you got, you, you're a family man. What does your family think of all this? This has got to be crazy for them. Well, I mean, my son, he's 35, and he, he his big thing is bowling. He's pretty good at And he knows I, I do it, but I don't, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't overdo it. My wife, uh, she, this is a funny thing, that she's a, a national referee. She's a better referee than I am. And the only reason she became a referee was that when I was in, the, I guess, in Ohio, this was about 2007 or eight. Uh, yeah. Uh, she came in to watch me, you know, pick me up and watch me lift. And I was squatting, and she kept saying, "Not deep enough, not deep enough." <laughs> <laughs> your wife is, of course, your wife. Of course, you're like, "Yes, honey," and and you're like, you would be like, "What do you know? You're not a ref." She's like, "Well, let's let's fix that then." And she takes a refing. <laughs> she said, "I said, honey, I'm, I'm I'm working for me." I said, uh, "If you're gonna do this, you might become a ref." And so she became a local ref. And after a couple of years, she became a national round. And so, oh wow! So, so now, now you can't say nothing. Now, when she's like not deep enough, you're like, well, I guess what can I say? She's a national level referee. <laughs> so, yeah, she, so she, so I, I, uh, I just, I just tell her I go to the gym, but I don't tell her if I hit a left or whatever. I don't go to all that because so it's so she, 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 I use the gym as my little world. I say, now when she goes shopping, she's a superstar in shopping. She knows every store, what's on sale, what's on sale, and stuff like that. I just find my little man chair and says, hi, honey, just let me know when you're done. And I'll <laughs> That's survival, sir. That's survival. Well, listen, thank you very much for coming on. Is there anybody you want to thank or any shout-outs you want to give for how people might be able to follow you on social media now that you're on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook and also on Instagram, Rick.David. But definitely thank my wife for the 20 years who been my, my godsmother. And some of my life, and then my parents, you know, who just who raised me everything. But, uh, but you know, there's, you know, USAPL has been a great, great organization to be part of. Larry Miller, Johnny Graham, our president, vice president, and then the local chapter here is uh, Robert Keller. Uh, they, they, that, they really give a lot of support to all the local athletes, and I just can't thank them enough in terms of providing a great vehicle for all these athletes to do very well. And you're from, you know, you know. Kids are eight or nine years old to folks that are like my age or even older. And so, like at the last meet was the um, Florida State Championship. And we had a, a Gia, her name is Gia. She's nine years old and she was nominated to be a youth, youth, uh, virtual youth uh, athlete for IPF. And she's phenomenal. She does weightlifting, you know, powerlifting. Oh. I mean, she's phenomenal. So she's only nine years old. And then you had, um, Taylor Atwood at the same meet. Oh so, wow! I, yeah. World record, and so the fact so he squatted and he finished squatting. He goes back to rest up on the bench. So I go back and say, "Can I can I get a picture?" He says, "The picture with the gold." I said, oh, "Okay." <laughs> so me and him got a picture with the dad. I was like, uh, and so and then we had a, another guy uh, uh, in her 80s, you know, in his seventies lifting. So uh, and so so having you seeing that that positive energy. It, I mean, it just gets you excited uh, and, being, and, and just to feel you humble to be around those, those positive people uh, because it keeps you motivated to keep going. So, it, it, you, it's That's amazing in the same competition to have someone in the future that's like a, literally a kid who's a, a dual sport athlete crushing it to a guy right in his prime like Taylor Atwood 
um, who's like doing 11 times body weight and just the number one guy in the IPF and then a guy in his 80s lifting. It just shows you like, you know, you that, and that's just one competition. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's like a metaphor for life. You know, keep pushing wherever you're at on, in this journey. Well, listen, I mean, Mike. He, he had just, I found out on Facebook, he had just recovered from a car accident. And so he set some national Florida State records uh, in the competition. So when you have those individuals that come back from you know, unique, unique challenges and, and, and still compete, don't say anything, just very humble, stuff like that. It's amazing. And there was another lady I met uh, who took first, I think, in the master, I think master two, and she was talking about her journey. And she used to be in, I think, law enforcement. And she used to weigh, she lost over 100 pounds. Oh, wow. Did it because she got into lifting just kind of losing weight. And she got to the point and said, I need to have a goal. And now she got into powerlifting. And now she competes and she's now a state champion. And so when you see, you hear about those personal journeys, it just, it, it's just, it just, it just, it just very uplifting. Right, man. The sport's given to a lot of people. Listen, uh, greatly appreciate for your time. This was a phenomenal podcast. Um, I can't wait to drop it. I think people are going to love hearing it. So thank you for coming on, sir. We will keep in touch. Hopefully, uh, you know, we see each other at the next IPF World Championships. I, who knows what 2021 is going to bring, but it'll be your 40th year. And it'd be something special if, if I see you at one of the IPF Worlds. Maybe we can even get another commentating session in. But until then, my friend, let's keep in touch and uh, good luck in training. All right, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. Uh, the honor's all mine, believe me. Thank okay. you, sir. All right.